Thanks for checking out the City Church Podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about City Church by visiting us online at ourcitychurch.org. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, City Church. You glad to be at church this morning? You glad to be here? I know I am. Welcome. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're here with us. If you're new to City Church, we are one church in five locations. And so as we always do, I want to take a moment and say hello to our other church families around the state. And so let's say hello to Bridgeport and to Hartford, yep, and to North and to Middletown here in New Haven. We love you guys and we're glad that you're here. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that our lead pastor, Justin, and his family have uh, taken the opportunity just to get away for a couple weeks, enjoy some rest and just recouping together. Uh, He's also had the opportunity to work on some bigger projects, which you'll be hearing about in the next week or two, which we're really excited to share. And so uh, he'll be back next week, excited about that. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know we've been in a sermon series called Build the City. Build the City. We've been looking at an Old Testament character named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah lived about 500 or so years before the time of Christ. And Nehemiah lived in a time when the nation of Israel was in utter chaos. But 100 years before Nehemiah lived, a foreign power had come through the city of Jerusalem, its capital, and just totally decimated the entire city. All the people had been carried off as slaves. The walls had been uh, torn down. And the state of the city was in utter Ruin. And so you remember the story, God burdens Nehemiah to see that wall rebuilt, to be a part of seeing the city of Jerusalem get back on its feet again. And the story of Nehemiah is him going back to Jerusalem, seeing that wall built, and uh, seeing the city of Jerusalem become strong again. It's an incredible story. Nehemiah lives in a powerful legacy. And so we've been looking at his life through the lens of purpose, through the lens of vision, asking ourselves the question, how do I create a life of purpose? How do I get vision for my life? And so two weeks ago, we started at the very bottom, asking the question, how do I even get vision? Mike, where do I even start? And so we listed some practical things that would allow you to position yourself to be in a place where you can receive vision from God. And then last week we heard from Robbie and Damien and uh, Josh and Ryan. And so they were telling us all about what do I do once I get vision? What do I do once I have heard from God? What are the practical next steps that I do? And this morning we continue our series together. I'm looking towards the end of the chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And so I'm glad you're here. Are you glad to be here once more? Come on, are you glad to be in church? I know I am. Yeah. The title of this morning's message is A Collective Dream. And let's pray together one more time. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us right now. And God, we believe it. And so we say once more that, God, we boldly expect you to speak to us today. We open our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. As we open the word of God, we ask that you would speak to us. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. It was July of 2008. My wife and I had been married just about a year, and we headed out for a trip to Yosemite National Park. If you've ever been out to Yosemite, you know that it is one of the most spectacular places in our country. And so we set out for a week or so 
of hiking. So we get there, drive all the way to the park, crash, and the very, uh, go to sleep. And uh, the very next day, we we get up and we decide we're going to hike up to Glacier Point. All right, Glacier Point is this overlook that really showcases the beauty of the park. And so we get up early, hike all the way up. It's four or five miles to get to the top of it. Get up there, take in the sights, take some pictures, have some lunch, and then decide, yeah, it's probably time to start heading back down. So we start making our way back down this mountain. And if you've ever done any hiking in sort of steeper environments than we tend to have here in Connecticut, you know that to get to the top of the mountain, you don't typically go straight up, right? You typically go back and forth. So it's a little less steep. And those are called switchbacks. And so we start heading down the mountain, and we're going back and forth between these switchbacks. And so you head this way for a while, then you're going back this way. And I'm just getting tired of it. I'm feeling like I'm in in the longest bank line ever going back and forth. And so I had this great idea. I said, you know what? They all just connect anyways. Why don't we just go down the middle? All right, let's just take a little shortcut. And I talk her into it. And so we head off trail, which you know what's the rule in hiking? Don't go off trail. Like, don't ever do that. And so we start heading down. And we're probably five, ten minutes down thinking we probably should have hit the other one by now. And she stops and says, you know, I think we're off. I think we're lost we should head back. And I wish I could tell you that in that moment I said, my love, your wisdom knows no bounds. Let us turn back and fix my miscalculation and head back up. But instead, what came out of my mouth was like, come on, we're fine. We're going to find it here in a second. And so five minutes, we move on. Ten minutes, keep going. Fifteen minutes, we keep going. We're still not finding it. And suddenly we realize, okay, we're definitely not finding that trail. And we are most definitely lost. And so we stop and we say, all right, it's time to turn around. And so we turn back and we look up. The problem is we haven't been on a trail now for miles. And so we look up and it's like, I don't know where to go. I haven't seen the trail in an hour. And so it's like, I guess we have no choice but to just continue further down and eventually hope that we're going to run into something. And so we keep moving and very quickly we land in some sketchy territory where we're kind of shimmying across these ledges where we're holding on to brush. And I realize I don't have my cell phone with me and nobody even knows that we're here. And so nobody even knows that we're going to go missing. And I think I just passed a giant pile of bear poop. So I'm either going to be stranded on the side of a mountain or devoured as a late night snack by some big animal. All right, one or the other. We keep moving. Eventually, way, way, way in the distance, we see the trail and we see somebody on it. And so I yelled at him. I said, hey, it takes him about a minute to find us because we're not where we're supposed to be. And he looks at us and he goes, hey. And I go, can you tell us where to go? And he looks at me and he goes, no, I got no idea. And I'm like, okay, thanks. And so we decide that the, the best thing to do is just start going backwards, just to try and figure out maybe we'll get lucky. And by God's grace, to make a longer story short, we start seeing things that look a little familiar, a little more familiar, and several hours later, right around dinner time, we make our way back out onto the trail right before it immediately starts torrentially downpouring. And in that moment, I thought, I don't think I'm going to go off that trail anymore. I, I think from here on out, I'm going I'm to follow the rules. And you look at me with those judging eyes, but you've got that same thing in you. There's something in us that knows what it's like to go down a path that we probably shouldn't have gone down. Only to look back later and wish that we had listened to those of us who said, you're probably going down the wrong path. There's something in us, if we're honest, that just doesn't like admitting we're wrong and really doesn't like asking for help. 
Think about the last time you went to Barnes & Noble. You didn't look up and see a section that said, help, how to humbly ask for it. No, the section said self-help, right? Self-help. There's something in us that just wants to figure it out on our own. That doesn't like asking other people when we feel like we're wrong. And there's a hundred different reasons for this. Some of it is just pride. Some of us don't like to admit that we were wrong because it feels like it's, it's weakness or it's vulnerability or we like to figure things out on our own or we want to prove to other people that we could do it on our own. Whatever it is, there seems to be something in us that doesn't like admitting we need help. It's why you're here and if you're honest, your marriage is struggling but nobody else knows about it. Maybe at work you're starting to feel like you're in over your head, but you don't want to raise your hand and let anyone know. There's something in us that just wants to portray strength because we're frightened about what people might think if they realize we don't actually have it all together. And what's worse than that, we live in a society that seems to to praise the maverick, that praises the person who is able to just get things done without the help of anyone else. The problem is, that's just not how God designed it to work. And if we're not careful and we begin to adopt this way of thinking, the dreams we have will always remain small, both in scope and in effectiveness. Because we've been talking about vision. We've been talking about purpose in our life. And what we have to see is that God has designed relationship and community to play a critical role in the life of a vision. We see it in Nehemiah's life, and I want to show it to you this morning, that there are three very specific roles that relationships are meant to play in the life of a vision. All right, so we're going to get into it together. If you remember where we were last week, we left off in the part of the story where Nehemiah had just gone to the king. He had asked to be released in order to go to Jerusalem and complete the work on the wall, to really start it and complete it. And so that's where the story ends. We're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 11. All right, read along with me. So, so I went to Jerusalem. It was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down in its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. All right? So Nehemiah has made the journey to Jerusalem, and he starts on this midnight scouting trip to figure out exactly how bad things are. And I'm reading this this week, and I don't know if you noticed it, but check out verse 12. It says this. It says, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And I read that this week, and I kept getting stuck on the part where he says, And I told no one, because I realized he had already told the king, And scholars tell us that the group of men who came with him to Jerusalem were likely the same ones who had told him about the state of Jerusalem. And so it's not entirely true that he has told no one yet. It's just that he's only told a certain group of people. And I ask myself the question, and I say, Nehemiah, what do you mean you told no one? It's almost as if he would say, well, well, of course I I, I told the people who were with me. 
you know, these, these select group of people who are walking the walls with me. Of course I've told them. I've just not been ready yet to broadcast it to anyone else here in Jerusalem. See, Nehemiah has been now carrying this vision for six, nine, twelve months. We don't know entirely how long because we don't know how long the journey took. But we know that for this period of time, he's been sharing this with others. This select group of people who have been carrying this with him, who are walking the walls with him. And that is where we see community's first involvement in mission. You're here today, and two weeks ago, you took very seriously the challenge that said, if we will humble ourselves before God, if we'll quiet ourselves before him, and ask the daring and bold question, God, what is your purpose for me? God, what do you want me to do? God, what is the direction that you want for my life? We believed that he would speak. And I know for some of you, he did. I know for some of you, he gave you some direction. And you've been stewing on it, you've been wrestling with it, you've been wondering what it is that you're supposed to do with it. The time has now come to begin to invite a select few others into that story. It's time to stop going it alone. It's time to invite some others in who are going to give you wise counsel and practical help into what's next. A select group of people. So you're here and you're considering going back to school. Are you considering a, a fairly drastic career change? Or maybe God moved on your heart to begin to get into the foster system or to adopt. Whatever it is, it's time that you invite some people in. Some people who will contend with you. Some people who will pray with you. Some people who will come alongside you and fast with you and contend that God will show you what's next. A group of people who begin to walk with you in the early steps of your journey. Listen, you should never surprise those closest with you with a life-changing decision that has already been made. You should never be the only one making that decision. You need to have a group of people, a select few men, as Nehemiah calls it, or ladies, depending on who you are, that are walking the early stages of this journey with you. You know, it always amazes me. I'll start to meet with a guy, maybe he's new to faith, and we're talking about time with God, and we're talking about, you know, how to get a job, and he needs to get a car, so we're talking through that. And then one morning we'll come, you know, we'll sit down, I'll be like, how was your weekend? He'll be like, well, I, uh... I got engaged. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, I was going to ask you about it. And it kind of just happened. I'm like, would you trip and fall? And like, the ring fell on her finger. Like, what do you mean it just kind of happened, you know? Like, you purposefully left some key people out of that decision-making process. And that's always a dangerous place to be. You never want to go too far down the process with vision without inviting some key people into it. And maybe, as I say this, God is just, just bringing some people to mind because you already have a really tight group, an inner circle, who you can bring these things to. But maybe that circle looks like it's just you. And so you need to start the process of actually creating that inner circle. And you ask yourself the question, who am I looking for in a group like that? How do I even begin to craft that, to create that? I want to give you some very practical steps really quick that as you begin to craft an inner circle who will contend with you, who will work with you, who will war with you, what are the types of people that you're looking for, all right? Five things you want to look for in these people really quick. One, people strong in character. These are folks that you want to trust. High influence in your life. You're actually going to listen to them they add value to the conversation. They need to have something to say. 
reliable and faithful. They're not going to flake out on you. They're not going to disappear when you need them most. And lastly, they will pray on your behalf. They need to be people who are going to pray and who are going to be in your corner seeking God that he'll bring clarity, that he'll help you understand what's next, that he'll give you wisdom and discernment, all right? A team of people, when you put it all together, who is sharp, all right? A sharp group of people. Listen, trying to figure out God's purpose for your life is always going to feel like a wrestle, and you shouldn't wrestle alone. And this is the first thing we see about community that we see in Nehemiah's life. We're going to call it this, community contends with me. Community contends with me. Let's keep going. Verse 17. You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem, this is Nehemiah talking, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Now, we don't know entirely how long it's been, but sometime after this midnight scouting trip, Nehemiah decides it's time to bring in a broader group of people. These are the folks who are actually going to do the work. And so it's time for him to tell them about what God has put in his heart. Now, you've got to understand the seriousness of this moment. Nehemiah is looking to set out on a massive project. He's not trying to build a a tree house in his backyard. He's looking to rebuild the walls of a gigantic city. And so I picture him standing in front of this large group of people, knowing full well that if they don't receive what he has to say, that the project stops. That it really never even gets going. And so imagine just the, the butterflies in his stomach If these guys don't get on board, if these gals don't get on board, the vision is simply too big for him to do on his own. And I I bet, just like there is in your heart and in my heart, there's a part of him that's saying, God, I'm kind of stepping out in faith here. God, I think I've heard you right. God, you've certainly opened some doors along the way, but I can't say that I'm 100% certain that this is what I'm supposed to do. That there's a part of him that just wonders, like, am I going to do this right? God, God, if, if these folks don't get on board, and I have to be honest about, maybe I heard you wrong, because without them, I can't get it done. It's important for us to remember that in the journey of faith, there's always going to be a level of uncertainty. There's always going to be a little bit in our hearts that questions whether or not we heard God right. And that's okay. There's this collective sigh of relief, I know, as we say that. It's okay in the journey of faith to not necessarily know everything. That there is some uncertainty that goes along with it. It's always important to remind myself of that. Because sometimes I feel like I don't have all the questions answered. I don't know entirely, 100% in my spirit, if I'm even right. Oswald Chambers talks about this. And he says this. He says, naturally, we are inclined... To be so mathematical and calculating that we look upon uncertainty as a bad thing. Certainty is the mark of the common sense life. Gracious uncertainty is the mark of the spiritual life. To be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways. We do not know what a day may bring forth. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. And that's where Nehemiah finds himself right now. A pivotal moment in the life of his journey and of this vision. He stands before the people and he tells them all about what God has done and what he wants to see. 
And then he waits for their response. What do they say? It says this, And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. What a moment! What a moment this must have been. Imagine this, Nehemiah in his heart wondering, God, is this actually right? Am I actually supposed to do this? Are these people going to be on board? And then in his faithfulness, God confirms it through these other folks. And imagine just like, whoo, okay. See, the journey of faith always has this uncertainty. It always has these pivotal moments. And one of the ways that God wants to speak to you in the process is through others. Others confirming that you're on the right path. Others confirming that you've been hearing from God correctly. You know, I remember in my own journey, journey here of City Church, several years ago now, and Justin and I start talking about a position, and there's no other, there's no other staff members, there's no other pastors on staff, there's no one for me to go to to say like, hey, what's, what's, what's this thing really like? This church had just launched Bridgeport, its second campus, and so I was really wondering like, am I going to peek under the hood of this car and see that the engine is sick and it's about to, you know, collapse. And so Justin takes me through the office and it's just the second story of his house. And I'm like, it's not really an office. And I'm asking myself the question, God, is this really it? God, is this what you have? A moment much like Nehemiah's. I remember sitting down with uh, the executive pastor of the church that I was part of. And he and I had been journeying together for a couple years. Just asking questions about, you know, what's next and, and the role and things like that. And I remember sitting down and describing for him what I was thinking, what I was seeing, what I was sensing. And I remember him saying to me so clearly, I'll never forget it. Mike, I hate to see you leave, and I really don't want to see you go. But I can tell this is what God has for you. And in that moment, confirmation. 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 God wants to use others to bring about the confirmation of the uncertainty of the journey. I even think about how City Church was launched. Many of you know the story. We're coming up on the anniversary again here in the fall. A, a, a burden gets planted in our lead pastor's heart, Justin. He stews on it for a while, and then he brings in the other eight people who are part of this traveling ministry. And they pray together, and they fast. And with one voice, they decide, this is what God is calling us to do. And that's the confirmation of the vision that was planted in his heart. So you ask the question, though. I know I do. When it comes to this stuff, does everybody need to, like, agree? Like, do I need confirmation from everybody in order to move forward? And of course that's not true. Of course, as you're stepping out in faith, there are going to be those who don't think you should. But that's why an inner circle is so important. Because you have those who have been journeying with you, walking with you, telling you, yes, I sense this too. This is what God has for you. And this is the second thing that we learn about community when it comes to a vision. And we see, we see it for Nehemiah. He calls it this. Community confirms my vision. Community confirms my vision. Well, let's pick it back up. Verse 19 says this. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Boom. Now you notice here, these guys, you probably, their names aren't familiar. These are regional governors in the land. 
These are guys who stand to lose power as Jerusalem becomes strong once again. And so they've been doing everything they can along the way to stop the project from happening. We've seen it in a few different ways already. Here, in, in this part of the story, we see that they finally resort to fear. To the fear tactic. And because what they know, they're saying, it's, not, it's a not-so-subtle threat that says, Nehemiah, we're just going to get back to the king that you're starting a rebellion. And honestly, this very same king might hear that Nehemiah was lying to him about going to Jerusalem, lying about rebuilding the walls, but was just heading there in order to start a rebellion against the king. And if that's true, then that, that king is going to send an army, wipe out the city, and wipe out Nehemiah as well. And so they're kind of dangling that in front of him. I hear you might be leading a rebellion. Word might get back to him soon. Did you ever notice that? That fear is one of Satan's greatest tactics in our lives. I know I've seen it myself. It's one of his ways that he seeks to get us to stop pursuing God's purposes for us. There's something about loneliness. It just seems to perpetuate fear. There's something about isolation that seems to just breed insecurity. And we see this. Because we see how community and relationship becomes one of God's greatest gifts in casting out fear. In casting out the lies that are constantly put against us. And I want to see how this happened for Nehemiah. You may notice in chapter 2 verses 5 when Nehemiah goes before the king. He tells him, I am going to Jerusalem and I am going to rebuild the wall. But what's powerful here is just 15 verses later, it's not I anymore. It's, it's not just, this is what I'm going to do. God is going to profit me or prosper me. No, everything has become an us. It's now not just my thing. It's now our thing. And when the, the power of us gets around a vision, it just removes that pressure off your shoulders because you say, this thing is bigger than me. And it emboldens him. And so we see he's able to speak directly back to them. Why? Because of the power of us. And I hope... That you've seen the power of this in your own life. Perhaps you had a dream of, of breaking free of addiction. And you tried, and you tried, and you tried, and you had such a hard time doing it, and failure after failure. But it wasn't until you went to that group and you met that person who gave you their phone number that you could call when you were struggling that you finally saw the power of addiction break. There's power in relationship. There's power in community. And I hope that you've seen it in your own life. We see stories of it all throughout the Old Testament. Where God uses relationships for strength. I think of David and Jonathan. Maybe some of you know his story. David is set to be king. And Jonathan is the son of the current king. And the current king named Saul is doing everything he can to kill David because he's insecure, because he's angry, because he's upset that he's being removed from the throne by God. And so he seeks to kill him. And so for years and years, Saul hunts David. And David runs and he hides and he runs and he hides. And we find him in 1 Samuel 23 in a low point in his life. But Jonathan is his best friend. And Jonathan comes and seeks him out and finds him. And he says, why are you so worried about my father killing you? Hasn't God promised you that you are going to be king? Hasn't God promised you that he has the throne of Israel for you? And the text says, in such a sweet way, it says that Jonathan strengthened his hand 
in God. I, I love the picture of that. He strengthened his hand in God. And listen, you need some people in your life who are going to strengthen your hand in God. I don't care what you're dreaming of. I don't care what your, your vision is, what your purpose that you're moving towards is. There will be difficult days. And you need someone who will lift your chin up and look you in the eye and say, God is not done with you yet. God has not forgotten you. God has not left you on your own. He's not abandoned you. So brush your knees off and let's keep moving forward. You need people who can be said of them that they strengthened your hand in God. And that's what we see for Nehemiah. And that's the third pivotal role that community is meant to play in the life of a vision. It's this. Community compounds my courage. Community compounds my courage. See, God God wants to start with using this in the very early times of the vision where God's bringing some people around you who will contend with you, who will seek heaven with you. And then as the the dream begins to unfold, he wants to bring some people who will confirm it. Yes, you're on the right path. Yes, keep moving forward. And then when you move forward and things get hard, you're to be surrounded by people who remind you who you are, who will strengthen your hand. And those are the three pivotal roles. But that's not it. That's not all. Come on, stand with me to your feet this morning. As important as those three things are, they're not the only purpose that God has for community. He's got something even deeper. Because I want you to see, as you continue reading the story, that in chapter 3, something happens. Chapter 3, something happens. As we keep reading the story, it says this. It says, after he spoke it, after he, he uh, was in the face of the opposition, then they got to work. And it says this, Elisha built a ship gate, sheep gate, sheep gate. The sons of Hassanah, they built a fish gate. Joida, he built the third gate, and Hanan built the valley gate. Malkajah, he built the dung gate, weird name, but okay. Shalom, he took care of the fountain gate, and the priest rebuilt the horse gate, and on and on. Until you know what? Something extraordinary happened. See, there was a wall that had been destroyed for a hundred years, and it got rebuilt. And do you know how long it took? You know how long it took to rebuild that wall? 52 days. In 52 days, the city's wall is built. Nehemiah could have never finished this thing on his own. He would have spent his entire life moving rocks and would have never seen the wall actually done. It was just too massive for him to do on his own. But God takes the power of community and it enables his vision to become a reality. How? How? How did he do it? God took the collective visions of each person, faithfully playing their part, faithfully building their little part of the wall, and this person's part of the wall, and this person built his part of the wall, and he puts them together, and he links them together, and in that he creates a masterpiece. He creates a masterpiece. Yeah. I tell you what, that's not even the best part. Tells us later that he gathers the whole city together as soon as the walls are done. It's so powerful. you got to see this. About 50,000 people now are living in Jerusalem by the time the wall is finished. Gathers them all together, and the priest named Ezra reads the word of God over the 50,000 people. And it tells us the entire city repents and turns back to God. you got to imagine in that moment those folks, the folks who had been faithful, who had been doing their part, looking around, seeing what God had done through them. 
Why did this happen? Because of one man's vision? Because one man had a a dream from God to see this happen? Don't even believe it for a second. It happens because a group of people came together and did something extraordinary. And God used them to do something powerful. Every single person, diligent, faithful to play their part, and together God weaves it together to do something bigger. Something bigger than they could ever imagined. And I just imagine the tears in the eyes of those workers. They're looking down at their hands. They're probably still blistered. Their backs are still sore. But there's tears running down their face because they just watched their dad give his heart back to God. Their hearts are bursting with joy because they just watched their, their sister give her heart back to God. They're watching knowing that they played the tiniest little part, but they played their Part. And in the very same way, I want you to know this morning, you're here and you are a part of something bigger. You're a part of something bigger and you need to believe it and you need to see it. See, we have a dream here at City Church. A dream that seems a little bit too big to believe, a little bit too audacious to actually be true. And you've heard it. It's the dream that our little corner of the country, the corner of the country called New England, that everyone says is spiritually dead. The one that everyone says is never going to turn its face back to God. We have a dream that God will, in one generation, take this area of the country, and it'll no longer be the most spiritually dead. It's going to be the most spiritually alive in one generation. And here's the truth. Amen. You have a part to play. You have a part to play. Come on, do something for me. I want you to grab the hand of that person next to you. Come on, just grab the hand of the person next to you. Stretch across the aisles. I know it's a little weird. Come on, stretch across. Grab that person. If you ended up next to that girl you like, you're welcome. But for the rest of you, come on, it's a little weird. Come on, all the way across. Stretch it. Stretch all the way across, okay? Here we go. How does this happen? I ask myself this question all the time. God, how could this possibly happen? The dream seems too big. Well, I'll tell you what. It happens when Jim is faithful to lead his family. When Isaiah decides to lead that community group. When Jesse invites his mom to church. When Allison jumps in on an impact group. When Joey keeps leading worship. When Justin keeps preaching. Every single person faithful to the journey that God has called them to. When Isaiah leads his community group. When Sarah takes that person out to coffee. Every single story God using, not for just the sake of its own story, but for the sake of something bigger that he's building. And you need to see that you stand here this morning at all of our churches and all of our campuses a part of something bigger than yourself. And that hand that you're holding that's a little bit sweaty, you listen, together you can accomplish more than you could ever accomplish on your own. That thing that you want to go for, go for it. And know that that's not the only thing God has called you to because he is using you to build something bigger. And I thought about this this week. If God can restore an entire city in just 52 days, 50,000 people, don't tell me he can't restore a region over a generation. All right? Don't tell me. I don't believe it. I don't believe that if I'll watch the city of Jerusalem and 50,000 people in 52 days give their hearts back to him, I believe that in just one generation we can see this region restored with passion for Jesus. And a day will come, I don't know how long it will be, when people look to New England and they say, what has God done there? What has God done? Because I never thought I was going to see it. I never thought I'd see that day. But it only happens if you play your part. There's a we that doesn't exist without you. And we don't become us 
if you don't play your part. And don't downplay your part. I don't care if it doesn't put you on the stage. It's just as important as every other part. And the question is, will you play your part? Come on, raise your hands. Come on, just raise them up. God in heaven, we believe that as you link our hands together, you symbolically link our hearts. God, we go forward believing that the best days for this region are still ahead. God, this family goes forward saying, God, we believe that you'll do it. God, we need one another. And God, we thank you that you are doing more through us than you're doing through me, than just the I. And so God, we raise our voices, praising you in faith, that the better days for our land, for this state, for this region, are still to come. And so God, we praise you and we worship you now. In Jesus' name. City Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of City Church, you can help us continue to reach others by giving today at ourcitychurch.org give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at Our City Church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the City Church Podcast.